Good morning again, everyone. I am still Brandon, one of the pastors here. Joining us online, whether you're joining us online in online on television in the sanctuary, we're so very glad that you are here today. Thank you all so much for those who've been praying for moisture. If you could just focus those prayers a little bit onto the form of moisture to be more rain than snow, I would appreciate that. But we'll take whatever we can get. I do know we're serving, we're sharing in communion this morning. So if you are joining us online, I'm sure you've got some bread and grape juice handy so you can join us as well. Our journey through our God encounters in the trees this Lent takes us to the tree of life today. Just a few weeks shy of Easter, we're going to explore Jesus, the tree of life, sent to restore us and restore the world to an abundant, life-giving, fulfilling relationship with God and each other. And friends, we need Jesus in our lives and in the world now more than ever. It is no surprise to anyone that we live in a very fractured and divided world, Nationalism and political extremism are everywhere. It also seems like every time you turn around, there's another Christian leader or a church making the news, making the headlines for all of the wrong reasons. It was the megachurch Hillsong just this last week. Ideologies, idolatries abound everywhere. Even inside churches, we can mirror the fractioning and the division we find in the world way more than servanthood and sacrificial love. We need to become the people who look, act, think, and sound like Jesus. Our divided and fractured world needs us to be people who act like Jesus. We can bring healing to that division and fracturing if we live like Jesus tells us to live. Instead of making and following a Jesus of our own image, one co-opted for our own agendas, we need to follow the real founder whose life and ministry centered around servanthood, sacrificial love, and yes, trees. Jesus was and is the organic savior. Now from Jesus' birth in a manger made of wood, to his death on the cross, a dead tree, the life of the Messiah, the one who saves us all, is inseparable from trees. The entire New Testament is filled with roots, fruit, soils, branches, vines, and weeds. From the opening words of the book of Matthew, we get Jesus' family tree. To the last pages in the book of Revelation, you see these trees of life all over the new heaven and new earth. We encounter a forest of trees in the New Testament. When Jesus was born, wise men arrived from the east from Bethlehem where they found this newborn. Even though each Christmas we enjoy the song, We Three Kings, we have no idea how many kings there actually were, just that they brought three presents. And two of those three presents from the wise men were gum-like products made from trees, frankincense and myrrh trees. You ever bought and brought a potted plant to a neighbor to welcome them to the neighborhood? You ever given a wreath to a friend at Christmas time? Planted a tree at a school ceremony? If you've ever done any of those things, you're following in the footsteps of the wise men, giving our tree gifts to others. Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. He grew up in the carpentry business of Joseph, his earthly father. There, Jesus spent many days, many days among sawdust, planks, and hewn trees. Right from the beginning and throughout Jesus' life, Jesus was never more than a stone's throw from a tree. Jesus, God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, spends his time creating chairs and ladders and benches, tables for others. The creator who made trees, creating objects for others from trees. 
There is some beautiful poetry right there. A few times, Jesus even called people out of trees into a deeper faith. Late in Jesus' earthly ministry here on earth, he and the disciples are making their way one day to Jericho. Jericho is known for their palms. By the way, if your last name happens to be Palmer, someone in your family long ago made a journey to the Holy Land. People who made pilgrimages to the Holy Land, they frequently changed their name to Palmer. Now, the stories about Jesus' miracles, they're circulating wildly and widely at this point. People want to get to Jesus and see this miracle worker. Even this one very, this one very wealthy little rascal. He was a Jew no Jew would claim. His name was Zacchaeus. And as Zacchaeus, the name means pure. But Zacchaeus was anything but pure. He was a sellout. He was a traitor. He was a turncoat, a collaborator with Rome, the first century overlords. He collected taxes, and on top of that, he was a cheat. He was a tax collector and a cheat. I think at some level, Zacchaeus wanted to be back in the fold with his people, with the Jews. I'm sure he thought that was too late for himself. I'm too far gone. I can't be redeemed. I cannot be made new. Zacchaeus could not go to the temple to make sacrifices for his sins, for his mistakes, for his failure to love God fully and to love neighbor completely. Being an outcast, he had no place to take his sins. But then he heard about this new rabbi, this new rabbi that forgave people no fees, no offerings, no taxes, no temple was involved. So Zacchaeus desperately wanted to meet this man. So when Jesus came to town, he climbed up a sycamore fig tree. As Jesus walked by through this whole crowd of people that's crushing into Jesus, Jesus notices Zacchaeus up on the tree and tells Zacchaeus he must be, he must be a guest in Zacchaeus' home tonight. How long? How long had it been since any rabbi had ever talked to Zacchaeus? He slid down the tree. With a look of joy in his face, he took Jesus and the disciples to his home for dinner. I am sure that crowd was indignant. How could Jesus, how could this rabbi eat with that traitor, that scum, that turncoat, that man who was anything but pure? Sometime later, Zacchaeus emerges from the dinner and says he has decided to make things right. He's going to make restitution. He's going to pay people back way more than the law required for what he cheated from them. He was going to pay them back so many times more than what he stole. People in the crowd gasped. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Jesus inviting him back into the fold. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus climbed up the tree, a sinner, and he slid down a saint. It's as if Jesus said, you can no longer hide behind, under, or up a fig tree. I came to save you. I came to set you free. Friends, Jesus sees each one of us today. Jesus sees you. And the message is the same. You don't need to hide any longer. It is not too late for you. Jesus sees you. Jesus came to save you. 
Jesus came to set you and me free, to set us free from all the other idolatries, ideologies, political extremism, and the Jesuses we make in our own image to follow our own agendas. Jesus came to set us free from all of that. Let's explore how Jesus, the true vine, sets us free from our scripture today. We're going to be in John chapter 15. You can follow along if you want to in your own Bibles on your favorite device or the screen with me. John's gospel, or the good news about Jesus, according to John, it's a powerful book. John wrote this to convince you that Jesus isn't just the Messiah, but Jesus is in fact God in the flesh, creator of the universe, who walked the earth. That is a bold assertion to say the least. Our scripture is John 15. And at this point in the story, the disciples have had the Last Supper. Jesus has washed their feet. We've had the Last Supper, the first Holy Communion, and they are now walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It is Thursday of Holy Week. Soon, Jesus is going to be arrested, tried, and sent to the cross. So while Jesus and the disciples, they're walking along on the road towards the garden, odds are they passed some grapevines. And as they pass the grapevines, this is the teaching Jesus gives us among the largest collection of teachings in John 15. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But... If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now in all four books of the books we've got about Jesus, he returns to this theme again and again. Good vines, good trees produce good fruit. Bad vines, bad trees produce bad fruit. Jesus is the organic teacher. He is constantly returning to weeds and seeds and soils to teach us what God is like and how we're supposed to relate to each other, how we can best relate and to care for one another. He opens with this. He is the true grapevine. Now, this is a bombshell. In Jewish tradition, the vine was a picture of Israel. God brought a vine out of Egypt, Israel, and planted it in the promised land. Israel had been ravaged by wild animals. Other nations would come in, invade them, and oppress them. And that's not even mentioning Israel's constant disobedience to God. This vine, Israel needed protecting and reestablishing. The vineyard of Israel, Isaiah says in his own book, has borne wild grapes instead of proper ones. It needs to be trimmed. It needs to be managed. Other prophets also pick up on the same picture. Israel has some work to do. Israel needs work to produce healthy grapes from the vine again. Now, don't miss the magnitude of what Jesus says here. He is the true grapevine. 
This can only mean he in, in himself is the, true, is, is the true Israel. God's purposes are resting and following on him. Anyone who follows Jesus are members of God's people if they belong to him and remain in him. This image of the true vine isn't just a clever illustration from gardening. It's about who Jesus is, who he really is, and who his people really are. And now what's going to happen to them as a result? Remember, Jesus is just hours from, away from when he's going to suffer and die for all of us. Jesus is both preparing them for the near future, what's going to happen over the next couple of days, and what will happen for the rest of their lives. The Holy Spirit is going to come and work God's purposes in and through them, working and pruning their lives. Jesus speaks to pruning vines, cutting away and throwing away dead branches and pruning so the fruit can produce even more fruit. My gardening skills are non-existent. I have never been good at keeping indoor or outdoor plants alive. I can, I can develop a sermon, do Bible studies, build a computer from scratch, try to keep a plant alive. Nope, dead. Might as well just kill it before giving it to me because somehow I'm going to find a way to kill it. It's outside of my abilities. However, this last summer, I had a bald spot in the lawn, and I planted some grass there, and it worked. It was still alive at the end of last year. We'll see if it's alive again when it comes back, but I have hope. So among all of you in the room and watching online, I guarantee you I have the lightest green thumb, the barest green thumb of anybody today. I did, though, learn how a grapevine works and how you need to work it to produce the very best grapes. Now, a vine, if you leave it to yourself, itself, it's just going to grow straggly and tangled, and it grows in on itself. It'll produce a lot of grapes, but they won't be very good. You need to prune it so it produces a small number of really good grapes. It's going to, it gets in its own light. It literally gets in its own way. So you have to prune it to stop wasting its energy so it's not unproductive. You cut out particularly the parts of the vine that grow inward on itself, and you want it to grow outward towards the light so it keeps growing to produce more and even better grapes. Left to themselves, vine produce, produces all kinds of growth that is unnecessary, and you've got to cut it away so the vine can be who it's supposed to be. Basically, you prune the vine to help it be its true self. Now, did you catch that? You pruned the vine to help it be its true self. I had no clue we were so much like grapevines. Jesus didn't choose this illustration by accident. Jesus wants us to remain in him so we can grow in the right direction and we can grow toward the right ends. Jesus wants, us to, wants to help us stop getting in our own ways so we stop stumbling over ourselves. Jesus wants us to stop wasting energy on things that aren't helpful to us, that are even harmful to us. Jesus wants us not to grow inward, but to grow outward towards the light. Jesus wants us, you and me, to be our true selves. Man, who knew there was so much truth in a grapevine? Jesus gives us a picture of this kind of relationship we can have with him that we should cultivate. We can't do life alone. Branches that go it alone, trying to live without the vine, they discover their mistake, they wither, they die, they're good for nothing. But branches that remain and even submit to the pruner's knife have, art, have to have desires and dreams transformed by Christ, 
They live fully. They bear fruit. And Jesus says, this is available to anybody. Anybody who wants to remain in me can have a relationship with God like this and to produce fruit. Now, Paul, the first century church planter, he gives us a list of what we produce in our lives when our sinful nature takes over. We have things like lustful pleasure, idolatry, outbursts of anger, dissension, division, drunkenness. That's the kind of bad fruit we can produce when sin takes over. And then he says, but if you produce good fruit, if you submit to Jesus in the pruning knife, this is the kind of fruit that comes out. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We know we're being transformed by Christ when we start responding with love rather than apathy or hate. We know we're changing when we have more patience today than we did before we started following Jesus. We know we're walking closer with Jesus when we find ourselves having this joy that doesn't seem to be affected by all the other stuff and nonsense happening around us. We know we're on the right path when we respond with gentleness rather than hostility and assumptions when something happens to us or those that we love. Much of that fruit that Paul just described is not prized in many corners of the world. We're supposed to take what we want in whatever means necessary, stepping over and onto anyone who gets in our way, showing love and kindness when it is the last thing we want to do. The way of Jesus has always been countercultural. Practicing self-control when letting ourselves go and letting other people just have it would really be easier. Pursuing peace when it would be so much easier to attack. You know you're remaining in Christ when you exhibit this fruit more today than you did yesterday. So what practices does it take to remain in Jesus to produce this fruit? What can we do on a daily basis to produce this kind of fruit in our lives? First, we must remain in community. We've got to remain with other grapes. We must remain with the people who know and love and celebrate as Jesus as Lord over all. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. I'll say it again for those in the back. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. You cannot go it alone. If you've not yet, find a place to get plugged in here. Today is a great day to do it. Whether it's a life group, a volunteer group, a serving team, something, take that next step out of Lent. Find a group to plug in with here. Tell us on your Connect card you want to find a group, and we, the staff, will help you find one. You can take that next step with Jesus down the road. Be this branch that bears fruit, the good fruit Jesus knows you can produce. And we are here to help you do that. It takes community to remain in him. Second, we must be ready for the pruning knife. For us to produce the fruit Jesus knows we can, sometimes things need to be cut away. Our hopes that don't line up with Christ. Dreams that don't fit our gifts, talents, or passions. Desires that are simply not from Jesus. Pruning is not a pleasant process. It is not pleasant at all. But God is glorified through it, and so will we be by bearing good quality fruit as a result. Sometimes it's like those vines. We've got this extra growth, this superfluous growth in our lives that have to be cut away. Sometimes it's a perfectly good thing that we're investing in. 
But this good thing is crowding out and choking out what we know God wants us to do over here in and through us. Pruning is an intimate process. N.T. Wright, the scholar, notes that the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when the vine dresser has the knife in their hand. It is the same with God pruning in our lives, friends. When our hopes and dreams, our desires and purposes, when they're changed drastically or pruned, God is closer to us. God is closer to us than ever before. God is right next to us, concerned about our long-term health as we are pruned for a new season in our lives. The pruning knife is not fun, but there are times it is absolutely necessary. Now, if you're following along in the scripture, notice right after that Jesus says there are some branches that are just to be burned, that are useless, he gives us note on prayer. Jesus says that if you remain in him, whatever you ask for in his name will be granted. Ask for whatever, and it will be granted. I mean, is that really true? I've asked for all kinds of things in prayer, and I still haven't seen a sports car show up in my driveway. We need to remember that the purpose of prayer is not just for us to take our laundry list of needs and wants to God. It is to build a relationship. God learns our heart, and we learn God's heart through it. As we remain in Christ, our passions and dreams are going to change to match Jesus's passions and dreams. It is an extraordinary promise that can come true because we begin to pray for things that Jesus wants us to do, that Jesus wants to do in and through us. In one of my favorite scriptures, we are reminded that God can do anything you know, far more than anything you could ever ask or imagine or dream. Pray about anything and everything and be open to have your passions changed to match Jesus' desires in the world and in your life. That is how you can see things come true that you have never thought possible. We remain in Jesus through community, through the pruning knife, and as people of private prayer and worship. Not only do we pray and worship together as a community, we spend time with Jesus in our solitary times. There are some folks that will sing worship songs to Jesus by themselves. Some will pray out loud with words by themselves. Most of us will pray out of the voices of our heads and our hearts. We might read scripture in a way that brings us closer to Jesus. But however you best connect to Jesus as an individual, Dial up those practices this Lent as we dial down Lent. If you want to remain in him, it takes community. It takes the pruner's knife, and it takes prayer. That is the life for branches like you and me. You know, time and time again, we see Jesus in the stories about him retreating to the wilderness to seek renewal and refreshment. His favorite place was here a grove of trees atop the Mount of Olives. Jesus went to that beautiful orchard when he was tired, discouraged, frustrated, or downcast. Now, whenever the fame and fury became too oppressive, Jesus went here to seek God the Father. If Jesus is our teacher, our model, our savior, we should probably follow his example. When we are tired, when we are discouraged, when we are frustrated, when we are downcast, we should seek solace from God in nature. Go to nature, sit under a tree. You don't need to climb it like Zacchaeus did and pray. 
Then beneath a canopy of branches, we, like Jesus, can be still and know God. Community, pruning, prayer, nature. That is the life of branches for you and for me. Let's pray together. Loving God, help each one of us each and every day to remain in you, to find our purpose, our hope, our healing and wholeness in you. May we not be afraid of the pruning you do in us because it's for our benefit, for your glory, for us to be the people you know and have designed us to be. In this last week, we know there were times when we fell short of loving you fully and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So in this moment of silent prayer, we lift up our mistakes, we lift up our shortcomings, our sins to you now. Jesus, we thank you for hearing us each time that we pray, whether out loud or in the voices of our heads and our hearts. And we thank you for forgiving us each and every time we ask. May we extend that forgiveness to all we meet this week. We lift up all of the prayers spoken and unspoken to you today, praying together in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.